Hey people, it's the Soul Man Zalon and welcome to Conversations with Zalon. Once again, if this is your first time here, first day, I want to thank you for being here. I was inspired to create this as I had so many wonderful conversations with different friends or different people and I found that it was either really ent entertaining, motivating, inspiring um, or informative and I just wanted to recreate that. Obviously, obviously we're recording and we're very conscious that we're recording. So it's going to be as close to the real conversations as much as possible. Um, but I just, I just really believed uh, in this concept in being able to, you know, document our thoughts and feelings in the real time and being able to, to share that. And hopefully it will give you guys some value in some way. Um, so this week we have a special guest. We have Jenny Jethwani. Um, let's make some noise, Jenny! Woo! Sorry, man, I don't, I, I don't have the, um, you know, the the, the crowd effect. Like, ah, Jenny, Jenny. We don't, we, I don't have that today. I just have just me and my lonesome and clapping. But you know, we're very honoured that you're here. I've known Jenny for many, many years. Jenny, um, so I met you through. Our friend Ash King. We have a mutual friend, Ash King. That's correct, right? Yes, yes. How did you meet Ash? Um. Oh, that's an interesting story. So we actually did the Asian Music Awards together at Wembley Arena. He was um, booked to sing, I think it was three songs. And my company at the time was booked to as backing dancers for him so we were sent his tracks and um it's funny with Bollywood actually because we don't always know who sings the songs it's not like mainstream music you know you see a Bollywood actor performing the song and you don't always know who the voice is behind it mm. so so we got sent the songs and I'm like, oh, he's the guy that sings that song and he's the guy that sings that song. And I was quite excited to obviously work with the singers because I think, you know, there's so much talent there that's being hidden. Um, you, you know, you really have to dig to look for who the singers are on these songs and, you know, you don't really see them performing it much. So um, so we were really, really excited and we got to perform with him and it was my first time performing at Wembley Arena, which, you know, is an iconic venue. So we were really, really excited. Amazing. So I've known Ash so many years now. We met at a singing, um, a singing group. Uh, there'll be many singers who would come down on a weekly basis, like a local community centre. Um, I met him there through a few friends. Um, amazing talented singer um and it was really interesting because uh, he had a rich history uh, um his dad taught him about indian classical and and how yeah. to develop his voice in that way and then um we just kind of fused our styles uh, eventually I, I opened like a vocal academy and he came down he's one of the students for a while and we were pretty much just great friends right throughout he now is doing really well he's like doing so well in India, touring mm. and everything um, in different parts of the world. He's a, a really, 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 really talented person. Um, and that's how I met you. But can we, uh, um, I mean, look, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm quite new to this. Really, I should have 
asked you to kind of tell a bit more about yourself, but I guess I'm learning as I go along. So could you tell people a bit about yourself, please? Sure. So um, I'm Jenny. I'm born and brought up in London in the UK. I run a company called Absolute Bollywood Limited, which is a dance and entertainment company specialising in Bollywood. I think there was a little bit of a glitch. It's called what? Absolutely Bollywood, right? Absolute Bollywood Limited. It's a dance and entertainment company. Continue. Yeah, go on. Oh, specialising in Bollywood, so um, which is which is why obviously we were doing the Asian Music Awards and why we were dancing with Ash, and um, I was so fortunate to to build a great relationship with him because it's sometimes difficult to um, you know to to create those relationships. You sort of do the gig and then you might never see each other again, and we were really fortunate to create this connection, and it led to another big show that we did together so um that was that was actually my first production um 50 years of bollywood which i think you came to see i did it was awesome where was that was that hammersmith apollo yes it was it was, it was incredible um just okay. to kind of give you guys some concept uh, uh, a concept of it it was 50 years of bollywood going through all of the the songs of each era whilst going through the clothes and the styling, the dances, the choreography. It was a big production. If you can just think of a big production, it was one that required a lot of work, scene changes, routines, choreography. Um, And I felt as a person who doesn't know that much about Bollywood musical heritage, it was really entertaining and insightful for me. And the fact that you guys put that on was just incredible. Oh, thank you. It was a lot of hard work. And very Um, ambitious as well. It's very incredible ambitious as well. I mean, it's it's hard. I don't don't know. um, I didn't know that much about production. I was learning on the job pretty much and just research and really speaking to some great people who were willing to give me their time and, and help me out to learn what to do I mean creating a show is is not a joke but I feel that to create something that's our own is the only way to really really bring to life the vision that we have um you know otherwise I would always be doing something that was someone else's vision or someone else's you know ideal and and for me it was like there's nothing that's been done like this before and is there a way of bringing this to life so, Jenny, tell me, what was, I don't think I've ever asked this of you, but why did you start Absolute Bollywood? What was the reason behind it? So, it's actually a really interesting story because I have loved, loved dancing since I was young. I never thought I could be a professional dancer or make a career of it. I just saw it as, this is a great hobby, I love it. It's so much fun and I would I would go to dance lessons, you know, after school, on the weekends and I just thought of it as something really fun. And I guess coming up, like being brought up, um, you know, in an Indian family as well, it wasn't the norm to, to have a career in the creative, like entertainment industry and it just be okay. You know, we were very encouraged to be like doctor or a lawyer or, you know, have, have a really professional job so I think it was really something that only came about after I tried my 
I tried many different jobs. I mean, I worked in finance, I worked in advertising, I did so many different things. And funnily enough, I was in other dance groups. So I was in a Bollywood dance group, I was in a belly dance group. And then I was at working at AOL. And suddenly, I just thought, you know, I want to get gigs for myself, I want to, you know, see what this is like. And we were a group of six of us. And we actually started a belly dance fusion group, which was called Shake It. So that was really fun. And it was just something I did as a passion project on the side. And everyone would say to me all the time, you know, why don't you come out for a drink? We've got lunch, we've got this. And I'd be like, no, I'm ordering costumes. No, I'm like speaking to clients every lunchtime and every day after work. And they were like, do you really want to be here at AOL? And I was like, mm, I, I guess, like, you know, it pays the bills. And I just never thought I could make a lot a lot of money from, you know, dancing. And I, I never thought of it as a sustainable career. So I was just doing it for fun. And then um, we actually got offered voluntary redundancy at AOL. And I was like, oh, this is, this is your time. Why don't you open a dance studio? So... I looked and looked and looked into opening a dance studio and I actually had this vision of buying the property that was, or leasing the property that was Sylvia Young Theatre School where I used to go because um, it was closing down and I was like, oh my God. Like, do, you hear that, do you hear that big baller talk? Yeah, I was thinking of just buying or just leasing out <laughs> Sylvia Young where I used to go, darling. Yeah, continue. Go on, we, we hear you. We hear you, big baller. <laughs> Obviously, that's with investors and with a lot of loans and not just hey I've got this big briefcase of cash let's just buy a studio you know it wasn't like that so, so it was just something that I did have actual investors interested because they saw my passion and they thought you know let's see what this girl really wants to do but has she got a good business plan? And as I started to write the business plan, I realized this is not where my interest lies at all. I'd be managing a building. Um, I'd be, you know, getting rent from different teachers and various people. And actually, where is, you know, the creativity in, in dancing? Where is the, you know, where am I going to you know, use those talents that I feel I had, you know, yeah. and am I going to be dancing or just managing a building? So it was actually really interesting because the Bollywood dance company that I was in um, was actually being sold. It was closing down. Um, the girl who was running it, she was moving country. She got married. She was leaving. And um, she gave myself and another, another, well, my ex ex-business partner, the opportunity to take over the company. And um, it was actually perfect. It was exactly what I wanted, but what I never knew I wanted, if if that makes sense. Um, so when you took over, just, just is it the building or the dance? What was it that you took over? So it was a company. She didn't own any of the buildings, but she had running contracts with Danceworks, which is you know, Danceworks and Pineapple, which are the two central london biggest dance studios um yeah. so for us to kind of be putting ourselves as teachers in these notorious you know amazing whatever these dance um studios and saying okay well we've now come in and we're taking this kind of place in the market um where they already mm -hmm. there was already a following there was already 
um, there was already so much work had gone into this and we ended up rebranding and, and not just taking over as it was, because I think we wanted it to be ours. We wanted it to feel like, even though we were sort of picking and taking certain parts of it, we were able to really, really rebrand and make this ours. Mm. Um, so yeah, we came up with um, Bollywood Dance London. We started that company and we actually ran it together for, I'd say about two and a half, three years. And um, it was really, really successful. Like we were having a great, great time performing in some amazing places. We performed in a few venues in Europe um as loads of venues in london we just had such a great time with it and we were able to both really put ourselves into the company and we worked really really hard um but this is something that i don't know how many of you guys have worked in partnerships but they're not always easy and um mm. it just had come to that natural end where mm. i think i think look from what I've seen of partnerships, I've seen some incredible, incredible businesses flourish um, from mm. two people who work together and equal founders. Um, but what I've noticed is if you stick to what your your plan is, like, okay, this is my work, this is your work, this is your strength, this is my strength, and we sort of stick to what we are good at, then I think you can both fly and it can be amazing. Um, but the problem is, is when you don't know what you're so good at and you're just trying mm. different hats and, oh, this week, oh, I'm amazing at the business side. I'll do the accounts. I'll do the projection. And then a year later, it's like, oh, well, now I'm not being creative. Now I want to do creative stuff. I want to choreograph. I want to teach. I want to mm. have more input with this. And I think we both crossed over so many times that it was like, what do we actually enjoy doing? Mm. And what do you figure out that you, you enjoy doing most? You know, it's it's interesting. I actually like to have my hand in a bit of everything. And I think that was why it was so much easier for me to then start my own company. Um, yes. So it was a way for me to say, okay, this is my strength. It's taken me three years to figure it out. Like, what am I good at? I'm good at admin. I'm good at organizing certain things and I'm good at coming up with new ideas, but am I always good at implementing those ideas? Not necessarily, mm. <laughs> you know? So, and, yeah. and, and should I be handing that to somebody else once I've given them the idea and told them how I want it implemented, should I be passing this on? Because maybe I'm not so good at the follow through. Right. And is that, would you say that's one of your biggest challenges? Yeah, it's holding myself accountable for things, um, for mm. sure. I mean, how do, how do you do it? Do you, you work, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like when I was younger, I used to just work really, really hard. I had a very laser focused. Um, and as I got older and I achieved certain things and certain of my life goals I ticked off, I felt... I feel like um, I stopped, I didn't want to work hard anymore. I wanted to work smart. And so also, I also wanted to find more of a balance where I was enjoying life at the same time as progressing in life. So I kind of opted for doing, um, being consistent at doing at least something. 
So every day I would try to just do a little bit, whether it be reading, making a communication or connection with someone, implementing something. Um, There's something that I was working on um, for a while. I've been working on my, um, uh, my artist academy where it's like a membership for singers. And I started it in the lockdown. Um, I wrote a book around it. I've done like probably like, like quite a few different courses around it. Um, and I just stopped um, just because I wanted, I, I didn't want to force myself like labor through it. I just wanted to pick it back up when I was in the zone to pick it back up. So um, I'm in the zone. My brother inspired me the other day. Well, not even just inspired me. He kind of said, look, um, what's happening with that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I just need to do this part. There's one part that's just, you know, taking a bit long. And he's like, look. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see you take this over the line. Like, can you get it done by Sunday? I'm like, yeah. And then he's wow. like, oh, cool. All right, I'm gonna call you every day at three o'clock, like to track your progress. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> 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 and then now um, today has been like, you know, like I'm I'm back on it again. I'm because sometimes it's just the start. You know, you start the process and then once you start it, you're back in. So that's kind of what it is really for me. So you feel your brother has helped you along and... and on, this, on this particular time, yeah. Generally, it's just, um, I would say I just like work con- hard at being consistent. So just trying to do a little bit each time. Um, and, you know, just trying to be... I, I'm a person I like to be quite thorough. So right. I... I do quite a bit but I try to make it a thorough process so sometimes it will take time but when it arrives it's usually I'm usually quite pleased with the results right I mean I think I think I've had to hire a business coach in the last couple of years in order to really figure out am I doing am I using my time to the best that I can am I really using my strengths am I should I be delegating you know, invoicing, for example, I don't enjoy doing it anymore. I did it for so many years, you know, sending invoices to clients, certain admin. And I was like, "Mm, this isn't for me. And can I be using my time better? And can Mm. I be delegating this task to someone? Mm. And, you know, focusing on something else where I can actually grow the business rather than Mm. just keep it running. Can I just add something about that? Yeah. I hated invoicing. There was something about opening my laptop and then having to create an invoice, which was just took, it just took so much energy to do. Mm-hmm. And I would wait so long that the invoices would pile up and I'd be like, oh my God, I need, I actually really need to invoice. So I'd have to force myself. But you know what I've done? I just simplified it. I found an app, invoice to go Okay. And it's just like um, you program your contacts just as like you would program your uh, a mobile phone. And it has like a template. You just go into the app, pop, you put in the fee, pop, you put in the date or whatever it is. And it's all it all populates. Your, your bank information populates automatically on each invoice. Oh, you wow. can download it, you send it. It also tells you when they've opened it. Um, so it changed my life. I've been using it for many years now. I, you can buy like the pro version. Um, yeah. I, I think you get a certain amount free and then you, but it's worth it because it just removed that. So now it's just like sending a message to someone and being like, so I'll go to like Jenny, 
for example, and I'll say, pay me, you know, 20 million and, you know, <laughs> and yeah. you. <laughs> it's really, really easy now. So that might help you. But where you say, where are you going to say that you outsource now? Well, so now I have someone who is my company manager and it's not that that's all she does. Obviously she replies to the emails and it, it's interesting because there's something about the way I was also responding to calls and emails um, when I started this company. And I think I was so excited to get gigs and give my dancers opportunities that I would take most jobs. I would just be like, yeah, sure, sure, let's do it. Let's take it. And I often didn't realize that I was not valuing my dancers enough or myself enough. And this was a, a problem that, that came, you know, it's a personal and it went into my business life. It was, you know, do uh, am I sticking to what I've said? Like if a price is on the website and someone says, oh, can you do a discount? Or, oh, but we only have this budget. I would automatically feel sad. I would think, oh no, they've only got this budget. I want to make it work. I want to give them what they want. You know, maybe I'll lose out here and the dancers will get work. And I would often do that. And I felt as a new business, what's more important? Okay. The client's getting what they want. They're going to give us a nice review. They're going to have a great wedding or, or whatever it is. And my dancers are going to get work and it's great. And so what if I've done all this work and I didn't pay myself? And I was doing that a lot at the beginning. And I realized that not only was I not valuing myself, but I wasn't valuing my dancers enough and mm. the amount of time and effort they were putting in. And this was a really big learning for me. And so I hired Natasha and I said to her, you are so tough when it comes to sticking to your guns, when it comes to your pricing. And she's an actress on, you know, she primarily wants to be an actress and she is an actress and she's a model and she's a dancer. And she is so strict with herself. Like she will not do gigs for less than a certain amount. She's so good at sticking to her guns that I was like, at least if I put her on the phone to clients and I put her on the emails and replying to people, there won't be that desperation that maybe I was feeling at the beginning. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, was that by your by your business coach? Um, yeah, she did definitely suggest. I mean, at the beginning, I feel like when it's your baby, you want to do everything yourself. You want to uh, make sure everything's done, right? The way you want it done. Yeah, yeah, of course. And I would get afraid, sorry, that someone would, would answer the call and, and like let a gig go or not answer in time because they just don't care as much as me. Mm. you know like if a call's missed is it the end of the world um and I'm so fortunate because Natasha does care and she cares so much about the dancers she wants them to get work she knows that you know they all want to continue being full-time artists and mm. so she's very very like good about it she'll make sure they're getting paid fairly she she sticks up for what she believes in and I think in finding that person it, it gave me a chance to breathe yeah how long has she been working with you now uh since 50 years of Bollywood which was 2015 she started about 
I think about six months before that, because that was actually one of the only ways I could really let go because I was so busy producing the show that I didn't have a choice. I was like, I can't produce a show and be in a show. And I was doing all sorts of things for the show and also run the company, you know, also take gigs at the same time, also teach people. I I couldn't physically do everything and be everywhere at once so it was actually I was forced to let go it was like do you want this dream of this production and if you do you've got to weigh up what you're you you know you're giving up at the moment absolutely I think when you when you start a business especially when you have a vision um sometimes for some people I mean this definitely was the case with me um you need to like get in, get your hands dirty to be able to work out the kinks because you know what's happened for me. I have a festival, Soul Royalty Festival. We're in like our fifth year of yeah. doing it now and um, we live stream it to the world and it's live music. Um, we do it down at Devonshire Square. Yeah. You know, you've been a yeah, couple of times. Yeah. I'm kind of giving the, con- I'm giving the context just for the listeners. Um, yeah. so what happened is um, we would have maybe six different singers who would come on um and then i would headline the show and do like a two-hour concert you know uh, maybe like a 10-piece band or something um um, and each but there's many different departments so to the audience they just look at oh so you sang no for me i was a part of everything and while i was building the vision it was in my head and it wasn't easy for me to communicate to everyone. So I had to be running around doing everything right. while being the artist, which I was completely exhausted after and said, I'll never do it like that again. But I would have to do like the lighting, the state. When I say I do, I mean, I'd have to hire, hire companies or hire people. You know, we're responsible for like maybe 60 odd people on the day. Right. And each person has each person or each team has different requirements. So you have like the lighting, obviously, um, you know, light is lighting. You have the sound. Now, for each uh, band, if there's six bands, me including seven, for example, on the night, each one will require different maybe equipment or different sound. We have the stage team. You have to give them information of when to bring it in, when to, to, mm-hmm. to, to put it down. We have uh, uh, the big video wall. So the big video wall is like a big TV screen which yeah. plays the logos and also the music videos of people behind them to, to enhance the experience. That has to be all tracked. So you have to have all the information, you know, like, uh, okay, on my song at this one, you need to play it like this. We have a live stream. You know, we reached 300,000 people in one year. And uh-huh. so you have, to, you have to, and also we're doing the sound for the audience. We're doing the sound for the live stream. Right. So that's two separate, separate bits of information. We need somebody who's on the other end watching the live stream to making sure the feed is going out so it, it looks good, it sounds good, etc. And we have issues with that. We've had issues with that. Then you have the band. The band need to eat. Um, the audience, health and safety. We have security on mm. the day. Cleaning up afterwards. We, we hire caterers. Um, um, There's a lot of people involved. We do sound. We we do sound checking. We have to. We have to communicate with the the venue that we do it at to make sure that we follow. We we fit in line with all of their terms and conditions and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and it's doing all of that while running the show. So I absolutely absolutely understand. And what happened is I had a friend of mine, um, Sean, and she has been amazing. She would come down to my show every year, and she would. 
um, she, you know, she would really enjoy, she comes with her family and she would see, she would see me at the end of the show and said, oh my God, that's amazing. I was like, yeah, it was all right. You know, it could have been this, it could have been that, all this kind of stuff, right? You're your and then biggest criticism now. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're yeah. on yourself, right? So, so then, so then um, after the, one of the years, I was just like, um, I, I, I've hired different people. And then one year I, I hired her and I said, you know, I was given her information and I was like, look, when this happens, you got to do this. And when this happens, you got to do that. And this happens, you know, she's like, but why? Like, you know, I don't understand. <laughs> and so, you know, I was going, I was like trying to give her as much information. When it came to the day, she was like, oh my God, I absolutely understand. This needs to be here. That needs to be here. And it's manic. So I, I, I say all of that to say that I totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, sometimes now I have the experience. So now um, each year I try to elevate, um, elevate the experience and the logistics. So last year I was supposed to perform. Did you come to my show last year? I wasn't in London, sadly. Okay. okay. So last year, <sighs> Jenny, last year I was um, supposed to, uh, I was going to host the show and then my brother and his band were going to headline it. But I was going to host and I was going to perform in between my brother's shows, so perform different songs. Oh, wow. So imagine I went to the rehearsal and I caught the flu from my brother. <gasps> it wasn't him. It 100% was him. He lost his voice. I lost my voice. I lost it about a week or two. My voice didn't return for about two months. Wow. Right? So for the first time at my... My, I had to hire a presenter last minute. Sh Shani Ryan came in last minute and, 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 and saved me. I think she, she works on like One Extra or Capital. She's done like a lot of work in the radio scene. And she okay. came in last minute and saved me. I was so grateful. But for the first time, I was able to look on at my business without me working inside it. I wasn't performing. I wasn't like running around. I had teams organizing everything. And when I tell you, when I looked at it from the outside, it was an absolute shambles to my standards. Right? <laughs> like, oh, no. not, not, not that they didn't do a good job. No, they've done a great job. Mm -hmm. But for the quality and level that I want it to be, it was an absolute shambles because things could have been more on time. The, you know, like this, the whole logistics could have been run better. But it was one of the greatest lessons because I wasn't busy. I wasn't distracted. I was just able to sit down yeah. and just consume it all, you know? Yeah. Be one of the yeah. audience, effectively. Like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I kind of just, uh, what, what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to be there and people being like, oh, when you, wh why aren't you performing? I just had a hotel room close by. I was watching it online. Um, and I was able to, like, I was getting all the messages come through. I was just going, it was like headquarters. Oh, wow. But it was the most, it was one of the greatest learning experiences of my life mm -hmm. because I wasn't working in my business. I was working on my business, yes. you know, um, and, and the audience had a great time. Like, you know, the team done a fantastic job. The headline acts, the acts were incredible, you know, really, 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 really great. Yes. You know? But it's interesting you say that because as a performer, it's sometimes hard. I mean, I've done exactly what you just said. Now I've started doing it more and more because I actually have decided to take a, a step back from performing um, in, in sort of the last year or so. And I was able to 
watch the dancers properly. I was able to critique them. I was able to, you know, help them with their formations, with their staging, with everything. And I think before I was so involved in it and I always wanted to be on that stage with them that it was really difficult because I was like, oh, but there's that performer in me that doesn't want to miss out on this. And, you know, and oh, there's an audience and I want to be up there and my, you know, and and just be enjoying this moment. But actually, it is really great to be able to be on both sides of it. And I think it really changes your perspective. Absolutely. Do you know the story of McDonald's? No, I don't think I do. Okay. So this is like a story talking about working in your business and working on your business, right? Okay. Um, when you're working in your business, quite often you're consumed with the day-to-day runnings of it. You know, you're, you're going with the peaks and troughs of the business, right? right? Um, so there were two brothers. There's a film called The Founder. I watched it. Great film. It's a well, film I've called The Founder. Yeah. Two brothers, McDonald's brothers, um, had a really popular restaurant. And they basically had worked out a system that it, you were able to deliver food at a very quick pace. So back in the day, when you used to go into a store, um, a restaurant, right. and you wanted food, they would make that food in that moment. Whereas they worked out how long it took to make uh, like fries, how long they, they how long to make fries, how long to make the burgers, and how to do it in the quickest way possible. Basically, they systemized their business. They basically found like a ten step process, the quickest ten step process, um, in order to produce the food at a quick rate. And so their their restaurant became really really popular, and they was able to meet the demands. Um, Ray Kroc at the time he was I think a milkshake salesman, I believe, okay. and he basically they ordered were ordering quite a lot from him. This is what was in the film, but they was ordering quite a lot from him. And he was like, hmm, this is kind of crazy. Why, why is this particular restaurant ordering so much? Anyhow, he goes down there and he sees how beautiful their system is and how they're basically just, they've just, they've just worked it out. So he decides to go in business with them and they're quite strict. Okay. And so they cut a deal with him saying that, um, he has the the exclusive rights to open franchises, right? Right. Now, um, but they could, but he was told that he couldn't make any changes to their business. So he would open up franchises with many different people, but he found that he wasn't able to pay his overheads because he was making like you know a little penny and a pound here, you know, not that much money, right? Yeah. And then between him and I think his lawyer, they came up with this genius idea, which was he has the exclusive rights to open up as many McDonald's as he wants. He can't change anything in it, but it doesn't mean he, but he can decide where he puts it. So what he would do is he would buy the land, right. put the McDonald's there, and then charge the McDonald's a high fee for them being on his land and also put offices on top or things on top of the McDonald's as well. What that done instead of, I mean, I'm going to throw some numbers up there, but instead of him getting, um, you know, 
a penny in a pound. He was making like, I don't know, like, you know, maybe 30 pounds, you know, for example, he was making such an alarming profit that he started to dictate what was happening in McDonald's. And this is by the film. He would say to them, look, I'm changing this. And they'll be like, no, you can't, you can't. You have to listen to us. And he was like, look, if you want, take me to court, but I've got the money now to string you in court forever. So you know what? You better just sell it to me. So they ended up selling it to him. I think it may have been something like two million in that time. Yeah, and, a lot of money. And, and they shook on a 1% handshake. And supposedly that 1% would have been worth billions, but it was never honoured, right? And then what he done is he took the McDonald's, the flagship store, and they could no longer put McDonald's on there because they no longer owned the name. And he basically just opened it up. But his, his, the, the reason why I'm saying that is, when you work on your business, yeah. you can see opportunities differently than when you work in your business. What they were focused on was trying to, um, you know, um, perfect the, to the second how to get the perfect chip. He was trying to expand the company. So the fact that you now are stepping outside of your business, you'll be able to be able to work on your business and not just in your business. Yeah, that's great. I really want to watch this now. It sounds uh, sounds really good. That's crazy. Yeah, that's the founder. Yeah, definitely inspiring story. Um, but yeah, I think I think I've actually been forced to work on my business rather in it because I um so I actually well I got married two years ago and my husband was well, I always knew from when I met him that he was living in LA and that I was gonna have to move here after we got married. Um, so I think I had this preparation in my mind for the last two years or, or well, longer, obviously, as soon as, as soon as I kind of knew we were serious and, and I was going to move, I had to sort of think, okay, who is my team in London and can I trust them to kind of keep this running? Because I'm not going to be in the country anymore. And I actually moved, I only ended up moving end of October because my visa took so long and, you know, the just just getting everything sorted in order to move took so long but since I've arrived here I, I you know I've really had to let go of um some of those things and one of the things that I used to hold on to like crazy was what the girls were wearing every performance I was obsessed with other costumes exactly right has everyone put everything back I was a bit OCD about this costume cupboard because we spend so much money on these costumes and I had this this whole mini studio in my flat which was dedicated to you know the, where these the, the home of these costumes and obviously teaching dance in that small space like privates and stuff so I was um I was so obsessed with this and I had to obviously move everything when I was leaving and I had to put someone specifically in charge of costumes and just, I really had to let go of a lot of things. And it's just given me a whole new perspective on the business. It's it's made me realize, okay, these things are in my control and these things aren't. Like, 
if mm. someone shows up with the wrong top, I can't get in my car anymore and drive it to them like I did in the past, or yeah. <laughs> which actually did happen a few months ago. Well, obviously before before um, COVID. Um, I think it was a Christmas performance and Natasha called me and she was panicking and she was like, one of the girls doesn't have her top and what do I do? And so I basically FaceTimed them and just kind of had to give them creative ideas of what they had and just to make them and, you know, make them look good and make them look the same as, as, as much they could. But I mean, the, the old me would have been like, okay, how long till they're on stage? I'm in the car. I've got a spare top in the car. I'm just coming, you know, and I'll be there and I'll save the day. Mm. And, you know, so that part of me just is not, is not, I'm not able to do that anymore. I can't see what's going on all the time. The eight hour time difference that I'm faced with means that, performances, lessons, things will happen and I'm fast asleep and I wake mm. up and I'm like, oh, how did it go? Um, you know, I can't be, I can't be checking in on everything all the time anymore. And I think it's really given me a chance to say, okay, I've hired this team for a reason and I have to trust that they all have the same incentive that I do, that we all want things to go well we want the, the the company's reputation to be great. We all want to look good. And, you know, they they are motivated to, to work as hard as they do. Mm. So what do you what do you spend your time now doing? So well, because I've moved to LA, I'm actually what I did was about a year or so ago. I decided that since I wasn't going to be able to teach lessons face-to-face -face anymore to the majority of my clients. So I think what I didn't explain before is my what I enjoy doing the most now, which took me a while to figure out what my strength was. And then I realized teaching wedding choreography and team building was my greatest strength. Um, I love teaching people. And even people that come to me and say, oh, I have two left feet. I can't do this. Oh, wow, what you just did looks impossible. How am I going to do this? My greatest challenge is to be able to say to them, give me an hour of your time and you'll see what you can achieve in that hour if you've got the mindset to do it. If you agree that, you know, you say, okay, I'm going to try and you're going to actually, you know, the people that say to me, oh, I can't, I can't, I can't, and I don't want to you know, that's, they need to change their mindset firstly. But once they've decided they want to give this a try, for me that it's the most, it's the most fun and the most challenging, but I love it. I love to see what someone can accomplish when mm. they give me some time. And, you know, I, I also start a lot with the positive mental coaching and I say to them, you know, you've got to start saying, I can do this, I can do this, I believe I can. And did you know how to walk before you could walk? No. Like what mm. you know, did you did you you know, you weren't born swimming. You you didn't know how to swim and you learned how to swim, yeah. you learned how to ride a bike, you can learn to dance. So for me it was that that really exciting moment when I realized, okay, this is where I get the most joy. When I see the progression, I see how someone um, can now do something they didn't think they could do and they're having fun and they feel confident. They've learned a new skill. So when it came to teaching wedding dances, that became, you know, it took up the most of my time in London. I would, especially during this time of year, normally I would be, 
you know, I probably have like five weddings I'd be working on this summer, for example. And I would I would be choreographing all the dances for that wedding. So there might be like five or six dances in one wedding. And that's all different groups, all different people all over London. And they would also have me send videos to the people abroad. So I realized that actually I loved making these tutorial videos. They're very simple, easy to follow. I would stand in the mirror, teach the steps. So there was no confusion of, okay, well, am I using my left hand, my right hand? And the moves were simple enough that anybody could do them. So because I was so busy with these videos, I decided last year I'm going to create a bank of videos that are on my website that people can still have access to my teaching, even though I've left. Mm. Um, so that was something I put together around about August last year. And I, and I said it live and what happened was by the time actually things got rolling, unfortunately, like wedding season was coming to an end. So I did, I mean, it did start, start to pick up, but obviously this would have been the summer where I feel it would have been, you know, really, really useful to have those videos. But because nice. things have not, not really allowed to take place and they're so small i mean 30 people for an indian wedding is just not even the family so, yeah. <laughs> jenny jenny did they always have like dances in um choreographed dances in indian when has it always been a tradition or has it been since the trend started happening when people started dancing at wedding like over the last say 10 15 years or so so I would say it's the last 10, 15 years or so. Before that, it was very much a trend to hire, you know, professional dancers. Um, and I think at destination weddings, it's still very popular. Like if there's a wedding in Thailand, they want something that's authentic. So Thai dancers or a Thai performance, something that's authentic to the, to the place, you know, where the wedding's mm. taking place. But mm. Ultimately, the joy in seeing your friends and family get up there and do something for you, it, it's just so, I mean, I still think as much as I love the show that my dancers do, and I think that when we can put on a, a good production, there's nothing like it. But, mm. but when it comes to a couple seeing their friends and family dance, there's just that, there's just something so special about it. Of um, course. You know, and especially people you would never think would get on that dance floor. People who would just, you know, need drinks to get on the dance floor normally or, you know, hide away from it. But those people, when they step up um, and they do something that nice for their friends and family, it's so, so special. And I think when this trend kicked off, obviously it was huge for us because, you know, it allowed us to to be the ones to kind of, teach them and get them all together give them ideas and it also allows us as teachers to be creative you know we have to come up with different things each time it's, it's not that easy yeah you know when you spoke about people um it's been really special when friends and family like get involved in your wedding mm -hmm. that happened at your wedding um so guys jenny got married at Disneyland. Is it Disneyland or Disney World? Disney Which one is World. it? World, Florida. Disney World. They were the first Indian couple 
ever to get married in Disney World. So Disney World obviously pulled out all the stops for them. Um, we had Mickey and Minnie, and uh, all the aunties and the kids were fighting over to take pictures with Mickey and Minnie. But um, I think on the on on the actual day, um, there was uh, I think yeah we had some additional time on the day, and um, she she asked me to perform there, which was a massive massive honor. Um, I got to perform and to, to, to be there and the aunties and uncles I just came up with this idea because I'm very spontaneous in a moment and I what, we had a dance off and so the aunties and the uncles were really going at it and they was really dancing together like really like battling 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 and then we done like the limbo and then there was you know everybody was competing and that and so yeah I was saying like, at your wedding we could see how it just the whole room changed when everybody was so involved you know well you were fantastic at that and I was so so lucky because we actually planned this whole wedding in three months like we got engaged in March end of March and then we decided on the venue maybe end of April and we got married end of July so we had three months to plan a wedding and I remember I was like Talon's going to be busy he's going to be booked he's so busy he's like so popular now and 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 am I going to get him and I was so lucky I think um you were touring or you were somewhere but you said okay I've got that date for you now you just have to tell me soon and I was like okay okay yeah 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 I was actually I was I went away I was in states I was traveling around states for about three months and so I had to like change some of my dates but yeah it was an honor man really 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 like it was an experience it's like Performing in Disney World, I mean, that's not an everyday thing. <laughs> no. You know? It's the first time I've been there as well. I've not been to any of the Dis- wow. Disney World. Yeah. Well, my yeah. husband had never been either, and it was like, um, honey, we're getting married there. <laughs> You've never been there. So it was quite a, a shock to him too. But, um, you know, it worked out. And I think the idea for me is I'd been to so many different weddings and obviously worked at so many different weddings. And I was just mm. – I actually have always wanted to elope. And um, funnily enough, well, his parents were like, no, you guys, we have too big a family. As I was saying, like his family alone who meet for Thanksgiving is 45 people. So I'm like, if 45 people have to be there at Thanksgiving, and those are the people that are in New York, like New York, New Jersey, that doesn't include ones, you know, in London and, and all sorts, the rest of the country. So that you can imagine that, that he was like, it's not going to be small, but you know, we're gonna have we're gonna have to have a wedding. So I said, okay, well, if you're gonna make me do this, then I need it to be something different. I'm not gonna, you know, I, I can't just do the same kind of venues that other people have done because it for me it will feel like work. It will feel like going to, you know, to yeah. the same kind of hotel I go to every other weekend to perform and it's not gonna feel that special to me. So mm. he then, you know, agreed to it and um he also did not know what it was going to be like to have a band at the wedding he was you know his family are so into Indian music and I said but you know that's not that that I'm all about and that's not what you know we love Indian music and the Sangeet is typically a music night where it's more about Bollywood which you know was our first night the Sangeet but the reception to me just I just think of reception and band like I just think it just 
you know, it's so elegant. It's just so much nicer than just having a DJ the whole night. And, you know, if you can, if it fits into your budget and it, and it goes, it's just, honestly, it was so special to have that live music while we were, you know, dining and, and the slower music and then to get to the upbeat music and get everyone on the dance floor. And, and it's so funny because you did that dance off and you did uh, Treasure, Bruno Mars, which everyone remembers that song they think of they think of our wedding and the reception and and I just as such it was just so so wonderful and you even made me and my husband do a dance-off which was hilarious because um I actually got really nervous (laughs) and I was like no I wasn't prepared for this (laughs) But but you see now you see how you felt right Mm. that whole experience is what contribution your business has to many lives that they now have these special moments that they're like and and their families and friends are like oh I remembered how special it was and they came out and they done that dancing that's what your business does that's what it offers you know I think sometimes we get so bogged down with um our business or the things that we do or our contribution that we don't realize that it's actually a memory, a life memory for some people. Yes. You know? and that, that's the goal. That's the goal. Like it should be, it should be that, that these, they watch that video back for years to come and, and, you know, remember it. And funnily enough, I've had some of these videos go viral and it's just so it's, it's, it's such a great feeling when you see all these people all over the world going, Oh my God, how did they learn that? Where did they do, you know, how did they learn yeah. all those moves? How are they so coordinated? And you yeah. know, you get to feel that you were a part of that. So yeah. Yeah, it's very, very special. Amazing. So what's next for the business? Oh, so obviously with what's been going on and and not being able to get into the studios and not being able to get to performances, it's it's tricky because I had just landed my first ever cruise contract um, before all this happened. And in February, I went to India and I actually booked 12 dancers for this cruise contract over Europe. It was supposed to start in September. And it was something that, you know, I was really, really, really proud of. And, you know, we were were creating six um, 20-minute shows, which was essentially similar to doing 50 Years of Bollywood again. You know, it was like mini shows with scripts and, you know, the storylines and for people. And it was mainly for people who don't know much about Bollywood. So it was really a chance to educate and as well and make it as authentic as possible. So we started working on that and then came back to LA and it was all ready for the, you know, the auditions had happened. We picked the dancers, contracts were being signed. And then obviously this happened and that has now got postponed to next year. So I'm, I'm really, really hoping that when things pick up again and people are ready to go on cruises again, that they, you know, we pick that back up and I'm, we're able to get on the seas. Um, because that has been a dream of mine for a really, really long time. And, yeah. Um, yeah, so that that should be coming back up, we hope. And then, obviously, because we've had access to Zoom and, and people have been at home, we've been doing a lot of online classes, which has been actually a really great way to, to keep people's spirits up, to 
you know, keep them busy, keep them, you know, give them a workout, give them something to do. And I think a lot of people have really, really enjoyed that. And especially like for me, I'd say the positive is that all my old clients who may have moved outside of London anyway, or now got kids and would have found it impossible, even if I was in London and able to teach, they were not able to come to my class anymore. And they've all been back with me after two or three years, they're back online learning from me again. And Uh, it's so, so incredible to see their faces and see that they're still enthusiastic, see they still enjoy the classes. And I, you know, I'm able to teach because I actually had to wait and I only got my social security here in March. And then obviously we went into lockdown. So I had, you know, lined up with some studios to maybe start classes here. I was ready to start with some team building activities here with some companies. I was really like going for it to sort of branch out the business to LA. And um, obviously with that on hold, I'm just really grateful that I'm able to teach online. Um, Mm. We have three other teachers teaching regular classes online at the moment and actually today we got a call for one of the weddings that we had booked this summer which is now rescheduled I think it's a lot smaller of course but we're back to doing a gig again at the Mm. end of this month which is going to be really interesting I mean I don't know how things are going to feel and be um at weddings from now on and events but that's uh, that's going to be interesting. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes and how people feel. You know, in- when do you think, when do you think it will all be back to normal, or do you think it will be a new normal? Oh, I think I think people are really itching to get out, and they're missing human contact, and they're missing those moments so much that I think by next year. I would say by March next year, especially in U- Europe and UK, I'd say. Well, yeah, I but think there's a, there's a lot of um, redundancies that have been made. There's a lot of people who've been laid off of work. Um, so, how will that? Do you think it will impact the economy? Because I guess, yeah. you know, uh, when everything's good, you can have, you know, hundreds of people at your wedding. Whereas, you know, if money's become tight people may decide to either, you know, defer it for another year, save up more money, or they may just just go smaller. So Mm, what I would say, especially for Indian weddings, because Indian weddings are usually three or four days. There's a lot of functions. There's so, so many costs involved because you've got several venues, you've got several, you know, vendors, you've got so many parts to them, right? So, I mean, what I would suggest to someone having an Indian wedding is keep everything family except one party. Do you know what I mean? Do do the one party instead of four where you have to invite so many people, you know, feed so many people and all that. Just keep everything else really small. I think the future of live streaming the wedding part and stuff is is such an amazing way to really like have everybody involved without them having to be there. Um, Mm. Like the way you do your show. I mean, it's incredible. The fact that you can live stream to the whole world. Um, 
I, I think so many family members will not be able to make it, will not be able to travel. So if yeah. they can, if they can tune in, I think there's nothing like it. And if they can submit more, you know, videos and special moments, um, like a lot of people have been doing for birthdays and occasions now, um, something special. And, and it's actually interesting because last week there was an 18th birthday party. I, I managed to teach over zoom to, I think it was nine of them. And, um, I taught them, I taught the friends of uh, the birthday girl and they were allowed to have a small gathering. So I think there was only them and they stayed away from everybody else. And they just came and performed for her, wished her happy birthday, saw her for a bit, but they were still able to do that for her and, and do the mm. performance. So I think things will definitely get smaller. I think the budgets are not going to be the same. Um, as you said, we'll have Was to- that not? Will that last or will that just be a temporary thing? I think it will be a temporary thing. I think, I think you know, the wedding business was booming. I think it was something that people really, really enjoyed, enjoyed doing. They enjoyed the process of planning the wedding. Of, I mean, I know I did. For someone that, that didn't even want it, when I got to then – go to Disney and choose like my menus and choose the food and choose the decorations and the cake. I mean, I actually ended up getting really into it. And for someone that had never cared about any of this stuff. Um, so I think there's something to be said for that. You know, most girls do want to feel like a princess and it is usually the women that, you know, that control that part of it or at least have the most say. Um, so I think if it's still on their agenda to do, it might be pushed back, but I mean, if, you know, a, a lot, there are a lot of people who also luckily haven't been made redundant, have been working from home during this time and maybe yeah. saving a lot of money by not traveling this year. True. And Absolutely. So you've got both ends of the spectrum, you know, I mean, I know like speaking from us, you know, we used to spend a lot on going out for dinners and on the weekends and even just road trips here and there and, you know, staying in an Airbnb or, or a hotel. And we haven't been able to do that and we're not going to be able to do that for a while. So mm. I know we are effectively saving money, you know, cooking at home and and all sorts. Um, so there, there are people that are definitely worse off and some people that might think okay well we haven't had this let's treat ourselves and have you know a better wedding or you know a destination wedding or something something a bit different mm. so let me ask you a question because i found that you have done such a great job at um performing at a plethora of different places um venues um how do you go about either positioning yourself in the market or how do you go about securing work? Um, just, just to add value to the listeners, like what kind of tips can you give that, um, that maybe can apply to them if, um, if they have a, you know, a business and they're trying to get attention for their stuff? What, sure. what kind of thing? Well, firstly, thank you. I mean, I'm still learning every day. I think we all are, but like I really feel you know, I'm learning on the job I, I have done for a long time. I do courses and things that help me, but I think 
um so with like seo was a big thing for me like the search engine optimization like our placement in google um there are a lot of bollywood dance companies in london especially and it's crazy how competitive the market is so having us um you know placed in google making sure that enough people were writing about us or were featured in enough places in order to get us kind of pushed up and not just using Google AdWords, for example, and not relying on that because some people see ad at the beginning on the top when they search something and they're like, oh, that's an ad it's paid for. So we want the organic search. So mm. it's making sure that there is, you know, you're out there in enough places. So there's a lot of obviously courses on SEO and there's a lot of people that you can reach out to online. I mean, there's someone called Neil Patel, who's incredible, who I've, you know, spent a lot of time looking at his stuff and he really explains you know what you need to do and what you need to look out for to make sure your business is getting um you know great results when it comes to search search engines um in terms of for me because a lot of our work is is in the wedding industry i actually attend a lot of wedding fairs and i make sure that i connect with planners with caterers Um, DJs are a big thing for us because I think in our case, uh, I'm not sure if you would say the same for yourself, but we're often not one of the first things to get booked um, when it comes to an event. You know, people tend to book the venue. They're so worried about securing their date and their venue. Then they want to secure a photographer, the um, planner, the flowers, um, you know, the florists, the the decorators, they want to secure all of these things. And then they go, okay, we've got this. Now we need a good DJ. Now we need good entertainment. And so I feel we come down. I don't know if you're, I'm not speaking for you as well. I'm saying we meaning absolute Bollywood um, as an example, come to the, we're at the end of that, of the booking. So when it comes to they've already secured everything. So if I'm in touch with everybody who's earlier on down the line and I'm already in touch with the venue and I'm in touch with the decorators and the planners and they can recommend me earlier in the process, I'm much more likely to get the booking than when they've just got 500 pounds left and they're like, oh, we haven't thought about entertainment. Who can we call? Right. Oh, I thought you, when you said the DJ, I thought you was going to say, that the DJ is booked last, and so you get work. What, what was the relation to the DJ? I didn't understand that. The part. DJ is often one of the, well, like maybe middle to end. Again, that's very much dependent on the person. Like for me, the DJ was very important because my husband and I are so obsessed with music and the entertainment for me was, you know, I know from experience that yeah. the DJ is so important. But some people who, if you think about it, when you're planning a wedding, you've probably never planned a wedding before you know, and you learn a lot of stuff as you're going along. And if you were to plan another wedding, you'd probably be perfect the second time. (laughs) But, you know, the first time you're learning on the job and you don't think about, oh, have I booked a good videographer? Have I booked a good photographer? Have I booked, you know, all of these things? And the DJ, they often leave till later, in my opinion. And then the DJ sometimes recommends us. Um, but it just depends on the order, right? So it's best to kind of be in connection with everybody in the industry um, because yeah. you don't know when they're going to think about entertainment. Yeah. And the thing is what they don't realize is that the entertainment 
is a massive factor as to how people enjoy themselves. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think generally when it comes to the ceremony, you know, there's a there's a level of, you know, um, an emotional attachment. And that's for seeing your relative or your friend getting married is like, oh, that's so nice for them. But when you have like the DJ or the band, that is for themselves. That's the moment when they really let their hair down. Maybe they've had a drink. And for themselves, they have the greatest time. And so I've seen scenarios where they've um, either cut back on the the live performances or the, the, the DJ, they try to cut corners, yeah. and then they get to the night and they're like, oh, okay, you know? And they think, man, I should have, you know, I should have kind of reallocated this a bit different. Yeah, and this is the thing, a lot of people realise it too late. And as I said, if it's your wedding, hopefully that's the only one you're going to do. And you can only advise your friends and, and other people not to make the same mistake you did. But it's so important. Like I always say to people, are you going to remember the centerpiece that was on the table that you spent so long, so long on that centerpiece and those flower arrangement on the table? Are you going to remember that? Or are you going to remember that you danced and had a great time and the music was great and, you know, you, you were just kept entertained the whole night. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, listen, Jenny, um, I want to thank you so much for coming and being on this podcast. Oh, I appreciate you. you so much. I'd love to invite you back. Um, I had a lot of fun. Um, finding out about, you know, I, I didn't know that you worked for AOL. Is AOL even in existence anymore? <laughs> yeah, so it was bought by Time Warner when we were offered voluntary redundancy. So the takeover happened and it was like, oh, do you want this job? And I was like, nah, I'm ready. I'm ready to leave now. But I loved is, it when I was there. Is, is Time Warner even in existence yeah, anymore? Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I still have my AOL email account, which is... Oh, do you? Oh, wow. I was like 15 or whenever we got our first email and it stuck with me. And it's actually so funny because since then that's been my nickname, which is JDET57. And that's just been my my nicknames from all my friends who knew me when I was 15 because I've still got that email address. Wow. Wow. So can you tell people where they can find you? Um, tell them about like what you what your business has to offer the online offline stuff and where they can find you sure so at the moment we're doing as I said online classes we've got team building we've got private lessons um, all sorts of things and, and in person soon enough and obviously uh, wedding events um, performers everything so we are at absolute Bolly, which is on Instagram um, my personal Instagram is at Jenny Jetwani, my full name. And our website is absolutebollywood.co.uk. So you can pretty much book and see everything that we offer on there. Uh, fantastic. And guys, you can search for me, Zalon Music, on all social media platforms. Um, and um, zalononline.com, where you can see my music and get Zalon merch. I want to thank you. This is Conversations with Zalon, and special guest today is Jenny Jethwani. Peace and love, guys, and thanks for tuning in.